following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. God, we praise you for the amazing God and creator that you are. We pray you, praise you for all you have done in, in our lives. We love to see where you are working and moving in our lives. We are thankful for your word and the stories that, that tells us uh, from your word of what we've done. Thank you for giving Jordan the ability to share your word, and growing him into the godly leader in his home and in our church. As he teaches from your word today, please help him speak clearly and speak only truth about you and what God, and what your word says. While we're here together this morning, help us to build each other up and encourage each other and to seek fully and follow you. Help us not to be distracted by things in this room or random thoughts, but to hear and understand what you have for us from your word today. When we leave, I pray that we would know what you'd have for us to do differently this week or to be encouraged by the fact that you'll be with us regardless of our circumstances. God, we just praise you for just the, godly, or the God that you are for loving us. God, we love you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles uh, to Colossians is where we're going to be at today. Uh, we are in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians is on the right-hand side of your Bible. Um, Three swipes to the right if you're on an electronic device. <clears throat> and we're going to look at verse 2 through verse 6. It's uh, weird to think, but we have two more messages from Colossians. Um, so this week and the next week, we're going to finish it up. And then um, we're going to have baptisms for Thanksgiving. So if you've never been to a baptism service at Community Gospel Church, you need to be here for that Sunday. Um, and then if uh, you would like, stick around, because we're going to do what we do best here at Community Gospel Church, which is eat together. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. Our teenagers are kind of nodding. They're like, yeah, that's the best part of our church. It's not the best part of our church, but it's one of the good things of our church. And then, I know it's hard to believe because of last week, but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We are really, really close to Christmas. It's crazy that we're that close, but uh, we are. We're almost there. And we're going to do a classic Christmas this year. So we're just going to talk through like all those classical uh, verses that have been given to us. And we're going to talk about angels and shepherds and Jesus and babies and all that other fun stuff. And all God's people said amen. All right. So it'll be a great Christmas this year. Great opportunities to bring lots of family members and friends who know the Lord or maybe don't know the Lord. As I was studying for Colossians chapter 4, I was reminded of a story of a young boy who was on a subway. A young boy who was on the subway started at the front of the subway with an apple in his hand. 
And as he is uh, at the front of the subway, he starts slowly making his way one car down, yelling, apples for sale. And then he goes from just saying it to kind of yelling it. He's like, apples for sale. And as he progresses to these cars, he realizes that nobody wants to buy his apples. And so he's getting a little frustrated, you know, and he just kind of keeps going one car to the next, to the next, to the next. And he realizes that as he got to the last car, nobody had bought any of his apples. An older man is sitting in the very back car and sees the little boy's frustrations. And so what he does is he essentially looks at the boy and he says, can I see one of your apples? The little boy reluctantly says, yeah, if you pay for it. And he says, no, I don't want to pay for it. I want to help you sell them. So he grabs the apple and he goes with the boy all the way to the front of the subway car. And he starts walking down the cars eating this little boy's apple. And he's talking about how delicious it is. And he's like, oh, man, this apple is amazing. This is one of the best apples that I've ever tasted in my whole entire life. Have you ever had an apple this good? The little boy is so confused, has no idea what's going on, and he just starts nodding his head. Like, yeah, they're great apples. He brushes it up against his shirt, and he looks at it. He's like, they're the shiniest apples. He just goes on and on about these apples until he gets to the last subway car. As he gets to the last car, he looks at the boy, and he says, I want you to go back to the top of the car, and I want you to start selling your apples again. He says, this time, don't even say anything. Just show him the sign that says that there's apples for sale. By the time he got to the fourth car, all of his apples were gone. Why? Because the older man made it attractive, while the younger boy seemed to just be yelling orders. In the book of Colossians chapter 4, Paul tells us that we are to make the gospel attractive. He says that instead of just proclaiming from the hilltops, excuse me, if you don't confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, do you know you're going to hell? Well, true, maybe not the best approach. Maybe we need to make it attractive with our own lives so that people could see exactly the gospel that we proclaim. After all, if it hasn't made a difference in our own life, how can we expect the gospel to make a difference in somebody else's life? And so Colossians chapter 4, we realize that Paul tells us that we are to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. He talks about speaking and showing kindness, love, compassion to others. And as we do these things, as we work on our own relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, and as we work in these relationships that we have with other people, we realize that we're making the gospel attractive. Yes, there is a time to preach and proclaim the good news about Jesus, but it can be done with both words and actions. It is an opportunity for us to look at this beautiful passage of Scripture and realize that God loves us and He loves this world and He wants us to really see how attractive the gospel is. Colossians chapter 2, let's start at, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 4, let's start at verse 2. If I said Colossians 2, I'm sorry, we're in chapter 4. Paul says this, verse 2. Brothers and sisters in Christ, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's a good three-point sermon right there. <clears throat> Verse 3. At the same time, also pray for us that God may open to us a door for his word to be able to declare the mystery of Jesus Christ on account of which I am in prison. Oh, Paul, in chains for the gospel all the time. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, notice what Paul is doing here. 
And the first way to make the gospel attractive, he is talking about prayer. Pastor Jordan, what does prayer have to do with making the gospel attractive? Well, Paul seems that it's beneficial because he starts before talking in verse 4, how I ought to speak, speaking about prayer and talking about the importance of perfecting the prayer life. See, Paul not only practices prayer, but also he urges believers at the Church of Colossae all the way up to today to Community Gospel Church to do the same. He says to be continually steadfast, that is persistent in prayer. He said a very similar thing to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, when he said, rejoice in hope, be patient when you are in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And so Paul, as he's penning this letter, realizes that prayer is not a spiritual luxury, but it is essential to the vitality of the believer. Somebody came to church one time, and they looked at me, and they said, your church prays a lot. And I said, yeah. Is that a problem? And they said, no, but it's a lot. And I said, we're powerless without prayer. We always pray. We're praying at all times without ceasing. Well, what is prayer? And why is it so effective? And what in the world does it have to do with making the gospel attractive? Well, at the core, prayer is simply a constant communication with the living God of the universe. It is one human soul speaking to the Lord who created that soul. It can be collective too as well, but it is our primary way as believers to communicate all of our emotions and desires to the living God. It is a good thing to pray. Prayer can be audible, it can be silent, it can be private, it can be public, it can be formal, it can be informal, it can be written, it can be not written, it can be a lot of things. But we as believers do a couple things. We pray in faith, We pray in Jesus' name. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. For it's there we seek God's favor. You should be concerned if you do not have a desire to pray because the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, that wicked people have no desire to pray. The lack of prayer may be an indicator that maybe you don't have the gospel in which was preached to you. And so, children of God, Realize our natural desire is to pray, and it takes work. I know, that's no fun, right? But um, as most things are that are important, they take work. When we pour out our soul to the Lord, draw near to him, God wants us to talk to him about everything. First Thessalonians says, without ceasing. So we strive to perfect this prayer life, keeping a running conversation, going with God from the moment I wake up to the moment I fall asleep. I'm constantly going to be in a conversation with God as it develops our relationship with him and demonstrates full trust and dependence upon him. Prayer, brothers and sisters, is not seeking our own will. It is asking God to align us to his will. It is where we communicate to God and ask him very specifically to do an amazing work to conform not to our own image, but to the image of Christ. As Paul's already talked about in Colossians, what it means to be in Christ. All right, so Pastor Jordan, how do you do it? All right, well, let me give you three ways that Paul says this awesome three-point sermon on what it looks like to perfect your prayer life. Go to the first one in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, uh, excuse me, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, first part. Continual to be steadfast. 
You can circle that word in your Bible as Paul tells us to be steadfast in prayer. In other words, he says, I want you to be fully devoted to it. I want you to be fully devoted to it more than anything else that you have in your life. Any car, any house, any relationship, I want you to be fully devoted to prayer. Ask yourself this morning, am I fully devoted to prayer? I think if we took a poll, let's do that. Everybody raise your hand. How many are, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that, all right? All of us would not raise our hands. We would say, this is something that we struggle with. But prayer, Paul says, is as vital as breathing is to physical health. Think about it, like a husband being devoted to his wife, full dedication. Devotion implies a strong attachment or allegiance or affection. We're fully devoted to the Lord in all of our time and resources through prayer. I like what John Piper says. He says it a little bit better than I do. He says a lot of things a little bit better than I do. He says, one of the reasons that we feel so weak in our prayer life is that we've tried to make a domestic intercom out of a wartime walkie-talkie. He says that prayer is not designed as an intercom between us and God. Speaking of the old 50s and 60s TV shows where they buzzed like the secretary. Excuse me, can you get me something? That's not it. It's not designed to be an intercom between us and God to serve as a domestic comfort to the saints. It is designed, prayer is, to be a wartime walkie-talkie for the spiritual battlefields that we face. The link between active soldiers and their command headquarters with its unlimited firepower, air cover, and strategic wisdom. Do we pray that way to the living God of the universe when we find ourselves in spiritual distress? Being devoted in prayer means we never forget what a grand privilege it is to pray. We wake up in the morning. Tomorrow you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, God of the universe, thank you for allowing me to speak to you creator of the universe today. That is full devotion because we're not under law, we're under grace. And so we take every step to ensure a devoted prayer life is central to our life. We seek both times of quiet communion with God in the morning and continue in the day privately and publicly. To be devoted in prayer means that we pause at every single meal And then we thank God for the food that we pause and we thank God for the friendships that we have and we thank God for the people who are in our life. We thank God for the trials that we have at work and in our relationships. We thank God for the fact that he puts some roadblocks in our life. Obviously, he's trying to teach us something. We can't forget Bible study and scripture meditation as well as memory that are a guide for our prayers. As we spend time in the word, we realize how to pray. Are you devoted in prayer? And if the answer is no, then what are you devoted to? Paul tells us, first and foremost, to be steadfast, to be devoted in prayer. So I make it my priority, starting now, God help me to be devoted to prayer. Then he says in the second part of verse 2, be watchful in prayer. Well, that means that you are alert. So it's one thing to be devoted to something, right? But it's another thing to be alert in that something. Believers should also be watchful or alert in prayer. In other words, Paul says, I don't want you to be spiritually drowsy from having your attention too focused on the world. I'm reading a book right now, which I think is really interesting, and the author is talking about silence and solitude when it comes to prayer. 
She says the biggest problem that we have in today's society, specifically in regards to believers, is they're like river water that has been canned in a mason jar. And they got shaken up in that mason jar, and they don't spend enough time just sitting and letting the sediment fall. They can't see clearly because their lives are too shaken up. And our lives are too shaken up because we spend too much time having our attention on the things of this world instead of the things of the word. We know more about the devil's tricks and attacks than we do about God's provisions and promises. The idea here is being ready when danger comes as well as seizing opportunities. The picture is one of a sleeping man who's being awoken and he's now wide awake and fully alert. In Nehemiah, which is a great passage of scripture, Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9, Nehemiah says, We made our prayer and then we set a watch. Here's what happens to us as believers. We often pray and then we forget what we prayed and then we forget to watch God work in our prayers. So oftentimes, church, God is still answering prayers that you prayed years ago. But it might be in ways that you would never even imagine. It is good to write down your prayers. Believers are not light. We're not asleep. We are not like sleeping, darkened people who will be jolted out of their coma by the day of the Lord. Our prayer at community gospel churches that when the Lord comes back to uh, revive us and, and bring us home, that we would not be taken by surprise, but we would be ready. We would be fully awake. We would be alert and balanced and say, God, I have been waiting and watching for you to come back. And here you are. We take every moment to take things to the Lord in prayer. Devotion is first. I want to be devoted to it, but then I want to be alert about it. And look at what he says. In the third part of verse 2, with thanksgiving. Being thankful always accompanies prayer as it places us as a believer in the proper attitude before God. Another commentator, John Corson, says it like this. A few months ago, I saw a billboard that said, pray, it works. And <laughs> I thought, true, but what if it doesn't work? Most of the time, we pray small prayers like, hey, Lord, could you get me out of here? How many times have you prayed that prayer, right? God, you know I'm in an awkward situation right now. Can you get me out of here? And when they don't work, which should be in parentheticals, we stop praying instead of learning what prayer really is. I've said it a million times here at Community Gospel Church. God answers every prayer that you have prayed. There is not one prayer that the Lord has not answered. It is either yes, no, or wait. And those of us who have kids, we love, be patient, and wait. And God is our Heavenly Father and loves that we are patient when our prayers are being said. Prayer is not getting God to see things our way, but rather it gets us to see things His way. As many of you know, I teach a class at Grace College, I teach a couple classes and when we get into the part of prayer, we talk about prayer, and every student wants to know, if God knows everything, then why in the world do I have to tell him everything? If he already knows, what does he care about what I experience in the day? That's a great question. Well, in my refrigerator, I have a schedule of my kids' day at school. I know everywhere, every place that they are at school. I know exactly where they're at. I know what they're doing. I know when they're eating lunch. I know when they're not eating lunch. I know when they're running around after boys. I know all that stuff. But when we get to family dinner, 
at 5 o'clock. I love to hear it from their point of view and perspective. If I looked at them and I said, yeah, I know, eight, eight, 9 o'clock, you were in math, whatever. Yeah, moving along past the potatoes. That doesn't help. But when they start telling me about their day and what happened, it brings new perspective. Even though maybe I'm not caught by surprise, I still love hearing from my children. A prayer with thanksgiving makes God happy. He is excited and delighted to hear from believers who have a proper attitude before and under him. Now, Paul wants believers to have this perfect prayer life because you're probably thinking to yourself, how in the world does this make the gospel attractive? This is between me and God. Oh, no, 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 no. Everything you do is not just between you and God. There is an effect for all people every time you do work with God. Paul wants believers to have a perfect prayer life as he says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, because it opens a door for the word to be declared. The word door is a metaphor meaning opportunity where he and those with him could share the gospel, the mysteries of Christ. Now, I can't help but think about Paul, who's penning these words here. Paul's in prison for the gospel. He's chained to a Roman guard. He has to be chained to a Roman guard because that's the law. If Paul goes free, then the Roman guard gets killed because he let Paul go free. And so I can only imagine as Paul writes this word, he looks up from his pen and goes, you know what I'm doing right now? No, Paul, I don't care what you're doing right now. Yeah, well, that's fun. You're chained to me. So I'm going to tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm writing to the church in Colossae. Oh, that's neat. What are you writing to the church in Colossae? How much I'm praying for them and for you. And he realizes that there's this constant door open for every time that he prays. I can only imagine as meals were brought in for Paul, he sits down and he says, um, excuse me, Roman soldier, would you like to pray for the food today? He said, Paul, you know this. Five times I've told you, I don't want to pray for the food. That's fine. I'll pray for the food and your food too. And you in the process. If Paul does it unapologetically, why are we so apologetic about it? Why don't we stop more and pray? Why don't we stop some more and allow prayer to open a door for the word to be declared? Now notice, in verse 4, this is really amazing. He says that it is not anything that he did for the Lord, but what God was pleased to accomplish through them in their prayers. Beloved, the door is still open for the people who are far from God to come to know God through faith in Christ as they watch you be fully devoted to Christ. Oftentimes, people aren't coming to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they don't know if you're fully devoted to him or not. You've compartmentalized Christ where we look at it and we say, he is for Sundays and sometimes morning and evening devotions, and other times, not so much. But Paul made such a practice of putting Christ in his everyday life that he commands the Colossian believers in the church at Community Gospel to do the same, to walk through open doors as they pray and take the opportunity to communicate the gospel clearly. He says, I want you to be daring. We had a conversation about this just the other day, about missions, and we've had two missionaries come up um, and speak to you this morning. Vicki Brown is one and Jeremy Hood is another who are commissioned full-time missionaries. But we should probably stop calling them that because everybody in this church is a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a full-time missionary. And so what do we do? Well, 
As a church, when you gather on Sunday mornings, this is time where I'm giving you ammunition to go and to evangelize or share the gospel with people in your everyday life and build up the people who already know Christ so that they would see that it is worth it for the relationship that we have. So every single day when we get up and we plead to the Lord in prayer, we should plead to the Lord for the list of people we know in the places we populate who don't know him, that they would come to know him, and the people that do know him would be encouraged to do the same thing that we're doing. This is why I come and preach to you every single Sunday. It is not so that you would just come here. That was a great sermon, Pastor Jordan. You just did a great job. I'm sure that took a lot of time. That's not what we're doing. We are trying to get you to be these shining mirrors because that's who you are, created the image of God to reflect the glory of God in your daily practice. And if somebody as hard-hearted as the Apostle Paul can come to know Christ, surely Ron or Carol or Karen can come to know Christ as well. Maybe, just maybe, when you pause and spend time in prayer at your place of employment, people will ask, what are you doing? And may you boldly share with them the gospel that you have received. But Paul continues, and he links prayer to the second part, which makes the gospel attractive. And that's in verse 5. Notice he uses the word walking after he talks about praying. He talks about taking a step after he talks about being in solitude. I want you to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to uh-oh. Answer each person. The answer comes after the saints have spent time in solitude and prayer. So the second thing that makes the gospel attractive as we walk down the subway cars is to perfect our public life. Completion or perfection in Christ includes not only your prayer life, but it links to your public life. To perfect this in Christ, Paul gives two simple keys. Number one, he says, be wise in your walk. Now, if we translate that from the Greek to the English, what Paul is essentially saying is conduct yourself with wisdom, not your own wisdom, the wisdom from God. Remember, Paul already said, if you go back into chapter 1, verse 10, walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I talked about it a couple of times in that sermon, and we've also talked about it in the weeks past. But if I were to go to your workplace or your home and ask your spouse or your coworkers or even your boss, does this man, does this woman walk in a manner that is worthy to the Lord? In other words, do you see Jesus in him? Do you see Jesus in her? Does he look like Christ? To please him in all respects, does he bear good work or is he lazy with his time and his efforts? Is she lazy with her time and her efforts? Whether that's in the home or whether that's in the workplace, what Paul is saying is we increase in the knowledge of God by walking a wise walk. Now, walking is, is kind of an interesting word. If you want to, you can circle that in your Bibles. Walking is pretty basic and simple. It goes like this. Seems pretty easy, right? Let's go to the nursery and talk to the little babies about walking. 
They might not think it's so easy. But it is an action that is repeated over and over again. You walk well because you've been doing it your whole life. Congratulations. It's not complicated, right? Unless you break your leg or something like that. But those two steps, if we could define them, are the left foot daily putting off the old man through prayer and the right foot putting on the new one by walking in God's word, ways, and will. You repeat them constantly. That's it. You walk through every day in the wisdom of God, and then it is evident to the outsiders or those outside the household of faith. J. Vernon McGee, who's a great author, he says it a little bit different, but still in a great way. He says it like this. Walking is not balloon ascension. A great many people think the Christian life is some great, overwhelming experience where you take off like a rocket ship going into space. If only, right? If only you got saved and were shot up to heaven. (laughs) That would make evangelism a very interesting opportunity. (laughs) I'll trust Christ. (laughs) He says that's not where you live the Christian life. Go to the next slide. Rather, it's in your home. It's in your office, it's in the schoolroom, it's on the street. The way you get around in this life is to, to walk. You're to walk in Christ. God grant that you and I might be joined to him in our daily walk. I would love for some massive revival to take place when I preach on Sunday morning. But what I've realized in the ministry, it is not these mountaintop experiences that make the word of God so great. It is the slow, steady, consistent steps of the saints in a corporate and collective effort that makes the word of God so great. We walk in wisdom. That means we are careful not to do or say anything in private and in public that would make it difficult for somebody to come to know Christ. I'm alert at every opportunity that God gives to witness and to encourage, for this is how we make the best use of our time, because time is so precious, and it is so fleeting, and it is so, so, so small. We are here today and gone tomorrow. Be wise in your walk. But I want to watch that show. It came to pass. Either it'll pass or you'll pass, one of the two. So you have to be wise in how you walk. But look at what he says in verse 6. He says, you should also watch what you say. Oh, boy. He says, believers should be ready in season and out of season, that's 2 Timothy, to proclaim Christ in all we say and how we respond. In conversations, we should be gracious. You could circle that word. That means full of grace, meaning I'm going to use words that build other people up instead of tear people down. Grace is the beauty of speech like Christ did when he walked the earth. He does it so well, doesn't he? He even says the hard things well. He tells somebody as he's walking planet earth, get behind me, Satan, with a smile on his face. That's the Jesus I love. Proverbs declares, wise people's words are like silver. They're a tree of life. They're food that is refreshing. They're water that just calms the soul. These words are good medicine. And we ask ourselves, What are my words like? What are my words like? Are they seasoned with salt? It's interesting, as we look at the word seasoned with salt, sodium is an extremely active element that is found naturally only in a combined form. 
it always links itself to another element. So you have uh, chlorine, on the other hand, is a poisonous gas that gives bleach its offensive odor. But when you put sodium and chlorine together, you get sodium chloride, or we know it as table salt. A substance that we use to preserve meat and bring out its flavor. Love and truth can be like sodium and chloride. Love without truth is flighty. It's sometimes blind, willing to combine with various doctrines. But then on the other hand, truth by itself can be offensive, sometimes even poisonous, right? Like the little boy who's yelling on the subway. Spoken out of love or with love, it can turn people away from the gospel. But when truth and love are combined, my dear friend Newt Larson says we have to hold these hand in hand. We have to hold truth and love hand in hand. For when we do that and we combine them in the individual walk as well as the church's walk, then we have what Jesus calls the salt of the earth and we're able to persevere and bring out the beauty of our faith. As the saying goes, you cannot lead a horse to water but you, and you can't make him drink, but what you can do is, is salt his oats and make him thirsty. And the same is true for us as believers in Jesus Christ. So let's check our salt content this morning. What kind of person are you? Do you enhance the life of those around you? Is your conversation pure? Do you keep your promises? Are you characterized by goodness? As an unbelieving world watches your steps, what do they hear you say? What do they see you do? Perhaps your life needs a little bit more salt in it. Well, how do I do that? Well, we study Jesus' life and we realize a pattern of praying fervently and relying on the Holy Spirit for power. The first step is that I cannot do this alone. I cannot do anything that Paul has said in all four chapters of Colossians on my own. I need Christ. And I receive Christ through faith and trust alone. And then, as a believer in Christ, I am fully dependent, daily dependent upon him. I wake up in the morning and I spend time with him through prayer and study of his word. In the afternoon, I check back in and see how things are going. And in the evening, I thank him for the day that which he has given. And all throughout those moments of life, I am constantly praying without ceasing. And as that happens, the prayer is that people will get hungry and thirsty for the same thing in their own lives. This is what we call the attractive gospel. In this way, we can answer anyone who asks for the reason for the hope in which we have, because we have evidence in our everyday life. So let's replace the apple with the gospel. As we're walking from car to car to car to car in our life, what does our walk look like? I do not believe, by the way, in lifestyle evangelism. I don't think it works. Nobody has come to know Jesus Christ by looking at somebody and saying, oh, they look like Jesus. I'd love to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior today. It doesn't happen. It is a balance between words and action, words and action. And some people in your life aren't coming to Christ or growing in their relationship with Christ because you don't look like Christ. And so we have to consider the grace that we have given or have been given and so we give it in return to as well. The tongue is a powerful tool. Read the book of James. 
Be careful how you use it in prayer and in practical conversations in everyday life. Let's pray scripture this morning together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the instructions that you have given to us today to make the gospel attractive, not just in our own life, but in the lives of others as well. We ask that you would help us as we have abandoned prayer so often. We have failed to speak to you, the creator of the universe who wants us to speak to you. Forgive us, Lord. Help us as we have studied this passage today to continually be steadfast in prayer in all things. When we wake in the morning, after we have conversations with our spouse and our kids and our coworkers and the various people who we populate, before even those conversations take place, may we be in an attitude of constant prayer daily, minute by minute, second by second, being watchful for the ways in which you are answering those prayers. Open our eyes to the fact that you are answering requests that we have ushered up to you. That you are not silent, but you are working. Help us to see you. Open our ears to hear about the ways that you have answered prayers for others. God, illuminate in our lives the fact that you are a good God who does not sit silently on the throne but that you are working and that you are moving. And may we, regardless of whatever answer you have given, whether that's yes, no, or wait, be thankful. Be thankful for the yeses. Be thankful for the noes. Be thankful for the times in which you tell us to be still and know that you are God. Lord, help us to realize and to see and to hear the doors that are being opened right now for your word to be declared. And I pray for not only myself, but all of us who are gathered here today, that we would be unapologetically unashamed of the gospel when those doors open. When we become timid, and we know that the time is now for us to communicate the truths that we know in our heart. God, may they fly out of our heart and out of our mouths and be impressed upon the hearts of the people who are in our path. Heavenly Father, we ask you today to help us not just in prayer, but also in the ways that we walk. May we be wise because we have spent time in your word and time in the text. May the word of God be the place that we run to, even though it's difficult. We know the allure of this world. We know that, that social media calls and technology calls, cell phones call. All of these things are pulling us and drawing us and But we need to just sit still and be silent and let the sediment fall so that we can see clearly. God, help us to turn things off and to just listen. Help us to listen to what you say so that we would walk in a wise way like Christ. Help us, God, as a congregation as we close out 2022 and move into 2023 to make the best use of our time. As it's fleeting, we don't want to leap into eternity. We want to walk step by step into eternity from this life into your physical presence. God, may our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that the world may know, believer and unbeliever, the answer that you have given to us. And all God's people said, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.